Welcome to another episode of the Hoopstradamus podcast closure series today. We're talking with Jake Shapiro about the Denver Nuggets, one of my favorite teams and one of yours as well. We're both from Chicago. We're both Nuggets fans, and that's a much easier team to root for than the Bulls right now. Yes, uh, a lot easier. My middle name is Jordan, uh, but when the Chicago Bulls decide to trade your childhood favorite player, Derek Rose, and one of your friends and your favorite college player, Spencer Dinwiddie, on the same exact day, it is really hard to get behind that team uh, into the future. And plus, uh, uh, when I moved to Colorado, the Nuggets had mellow AI. They were a fun team. They were the only Denver team that didn't have a rivalry or a conference or some sort of problem rooting interest against a Chicago team. So I could latch on to the Nuggets right away. So the Nuggets have always been my Denver slash Colorado team. And man, is it a fun time to be a Nuggets fan right now. Yeah, that's for sure. And you bring up that D Rose trade. That is one of those sports moments where you, I remember exactly where I was. Mm-hmm. I was interning at a Fox sports radio station in Naperville. And uh, we were like going on some drive to a sales call and I got a notification on my phone. And so I read it out loud and everyone else in the car is thrilled. They're like, oh, he's a bum. It's about time. Meanwhile, I'm like trying not to cry, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, (laughs) that was like a huge breaking point for me as a Bulls fan. And then, uh, and we won't turn this into a Bulls podcast. Don't worry, folks. But, and then, you know, they get Rondo and Wade. So they've been very difficult to uh, root for. So I feel you there, man. Well, it still stings. Well, Dwayne Wade was always one of my favorite players growing up. So I was really happy yeah. when they got Wade. And I, you know, I was, I always rooted for Wade with the heat when the Bulls were bad. I even rooted for the, for the heat initially until they started bumping into the Bulls in the mid 2000s and late 2000s there. Cause I always wanted Dwayne Wade, a Chicago kid to do well. Yeah. Good story. But yeah, I was in a radio booth too. Uh, when the Rose thing happened. And the funny thing is I texted Spencer because I went to college with Spencer and uh, Spencer was playing for the Bulls in that summer league, and he was so good, mm-hmm. and everyone saw it. And it was the first time Spencer looked like Spencer after his ACL tear his junior year of college. So I was so pumped. I was like, the Bulls got a steal. The Bulls finally figured it out. Stan mm-hmm. Van Gundy couldn't figure it out, who I love, but he couldn't figure it out. And the Bulls got him. Yeah. And then they traded him for nothing. I'm just like, you got like, I can't do this. Michael like, I can't Carter just watch Williams? the Bulls do this. Like you're right, gonna trade. Right. I can't just. Oh, it hurts. It yeah. hurts. And I, and was I knew. And like, he... right. And I knew because I saw him play in college. Like I knew that that guy was a dude. Like I've sat here and watched NBA player after NBA player covering the University of Colorado men's basketball team. And like you know, I like Derek White a lot. I really like George King. There, there are plenty of guys. Alec Burks, Andre Roberson, all players I loved. Like I like personally. No problems. Spencer Dinwiddie, I knew the entire time, was going to be a really, really good player at the next level. Didn't yeah. know that about the other guys. Knew that they would play at the next level. Yeah, I uh, didn't watch him in college, but I remember seeing him in limited minutes with the Detroit Pistons. And then when the Bulls made a move for him, I was thrilled. I'm like, this is the sleeper of the offseason. This is great. And then, of course... Uh, you know, the clown college that was running the show, uh, Gar Packs, as they're known as, trade him for Michael Carter Williams, who is just goes on to be an infamous bull. You know, like <laughs> he really peaked his first 10 games in the NBA, and he's a serviceable player now. You know, he's had a couple good games here and there, but 
the fact that you unload a fringe all-star, somebody who I think in the right situation could be on an all-star team for, uh, frankly, kind of someone who just kept getting worse and then kind of leveled yeah. out with MCW. So kind of blows my mind. Kind of blows my mind. Yeah, I mean, I, I would kill for the Nuggets trade for a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie. Wanted it for two years. The price right is just fit. too much. And he, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, he fits in terms of play style, but not in terms of where they need him to be in terms of roster and money-wise. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, yeah he, he he's just – he's such a great player, and he fit with so many different teams. Uh, and I'm really interested to see what actually happens here with the Nets in terms mm-hmm. of Harden and the move that they're going to make because they're going to make a move somewhere oh, yeah. somehow this offseason. And I really hope Spencer is able to stay there because I think he'd be really good playing with Kyrie Irving because mm-hmm. I think Kyrie Irving isn't a great point guard. I, I, I've never been a big fan of Kyrie, uh, but he's a great player. And I think the fact that you have a really good combo guard with a lot of length and Spencer right next to him would make for a really good two-headed, two-headed kind of playmaking style running the guard positions for the Nets, especially when you have Kevin Durant who obviously can do a lot of playmaking, but you take some load off of him coming yeah. off the Achilles. Like that would be a really fun team to watch as currently constructed without even the next step. And I really want to see Spencer work for, work with Steve Nash, because I think that you could even have one more year of growth before Spencer finally reaches his peak. Yeah. And I think uh, Steve Nash is just somebody who, if he can help some of these guards, whether it's Levert, Dinwiddie, Kyrie, uh, just see the whole floor the way he did. It is pretty terrifying because that guy had, uh, I mean, he was like some sort of Hindu uh, deity with all the eyes he had all over his head. <laughs> hey, no coaches, just vibes, though. Yeah, th- I, that's, that's what they say. And the earth is also flat. Anyway, back to the Denver Nuggets here. Uh, so briefly tell me, you, you have a little bit of uh, experience covering this team as well, right? Yeah, I get thrown out to cover the Nuggets for the Associated Press and the, uh, the Denver Post from here and there. Like, I think I covered them probably 10, 12 times last year. Okay. I am very uh, – I, I kind of take an arm's length approach when I cover them because I am a fan of them. And right. I go to a lot of games. Like, I went to six of the eight playoff games two years ago. Oh, nice. Um, like, yeah. Like, so I – I'm even, even, so I just, I just kind of hang out there, do as little as possible, make less noise as possible. But yeah, I got some connections over there. I have a good idea of what's going on, but uh, I'm very much in the, like, I mean, I tweeted yesterday, the Nuggets don't have a single player. Like I'm so biased. Like I don't even care. (laughs) Well, (laughs) let's get right into it, man. Uh, First of all, we'll start with the impressions on this last season and I got to say, man, I was pretty pleased. I was pretty pleased. Not a bad year. You know, years like that are so fun as a fan. And the Nuggets have had two in a row where the expectations weren't that high and you blow them out of the water. And personally, like as a Nuggets fan, like I felt like that team could go to the Western Conference Finals the last two years and three years ago. I thought they should have been in the playoffs when they lost that game 82 to the Wolves. Yeah, that um, was wild. But yeah, but you know, you look at it and I'm sitting here going, the Nuggets are a great, great team like they have such a great core and they had a bad month in November but besides that it was all up and it was all positive and there was growth with every single guy and it was all fun like even our third string point guard PJ Dozier was a 
thrill to watch every time he was on the court. Every young player, uh, every lineup, even the injuries caused fun. Like, we had a bunch of guards injured at the start of the bubble, and then all of a sudden, Bull Bull's playing small forward for us at 7-3. Like, there was literally not a bad day to be a Nuggets fan this entire year. And frankly, if though uh, games one and three against the Lakers go a little bit different, and they very much could have because yeah. there was a buzzer beater and a tough game with the refs where they called yeah. a shit ton of fouls. Like that series very easily could have gone six or seven games. Yeah. So that was a closer series than people thought, but I man, agree. like I'm coming home from my apartment, every single game in the bubble, Murray's dropping 50 and I'm like hammered going crazy. Like <laughs> that was awesome. Like yeah. that was awesome. Like you, you kill for those moments as a fan and I'm sitting on NBA Twitter for like three hours. I'm like, this is better than sex. This is better than sex. Just watching everyone tweet about Jamal Murray. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he had his, his weird little incident even during uh, the bubble with the, the leaked uh, Snapchat video too. We probably don't have to get into that, but, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. better than sex. <laughs> yeah, well, I, he, he, had a lot of, he did a lot of scoring, let's say, this year. Yeah, he did do a lot of scoring. Uh, good for him. He, he's a good scorer. Uh, yeah, honestly, my impression going into the year last year was this team, best case scenario, probably goes to the Western Conference Finals. When I look at a basketball team, I try to look at it as an entire organism instead of just like a collection of players, right? And so how do these pieces fit each other? And I think that the Nuggets present a really unique challenge the way they're constructed. Uh, Jokic and I've gotten into some like big debates over Jokic with some of my friends at Hoopsterdamus, uh, Coach Leo especially. Uh, uh, he's, he's a basketball coach in Alabama, and we, we butt heads on our philosophies, if you will. And he's like, Jokic isn't a guy who can go get you a bucket. And I'm like, well, sometimes he is, but in a best-case scenario, he doesn't have to be. Like Jamal Murray should be your best scorer. Jokic is pr- like the best passing center of all time in the – Places you can put him on the floor to create mismatches, uh, cutting lanes, or, you know, the, the pick and pop that they seem to do, like, almost half the time uh, with Murray that then creates uh, – it can be a pick and roll. It's like a pick and read, you know. Uh, it just creates matchup nightmares for their opponent. And so when a team like the Lakers, who is so star-studded, plays a team like the Nuggets, it's a challenge because they have to figure out okay, we might be more talented on paper, but these guys are really hard to match up with. We got to get creative. I think people confuse talent and athleticism because the Nuggets are as talented as any team in the NBA. Jamal Murray's not as fast as any guard in the NBA, and Nikola Jokic isn't as much of a leaper as any player in the NBA, but you can't look at Nikola Jokic and say that's not one of the most five talented guys in the league. Like, the dude's incredible. And I think oftentimes we confuse go and get me a bucket old school NBA bullshit way of analyzing stuff with just putting it in terms of outside playmaking and perimeter playmaking, which is very much important. And we saw how important that was and how much of a game breaker that was when Jamal Murray offered that, but nobody in the NBA has hit more shots under two minutes the last three years than Nikola Jokic. If you want somebody on your team to get you a bucket, it's Nikola Jokic, it's Luka Doncic, it's LeBron James. Like, those are the three guys that you go to. And you look at some of the shots, and particularly late-game shots that Nikola Jokic has hit. Cool. James Harden sitting there doing a bunch of dribbles and hitting crossover stepbacks. Like, I'm down with that. I love that, too. I love that about the game. It's beautiful. But 
Watch Nikola Jokic hit a post shot off one foot from 17 with the clock ticking down and tell me how you guard that. Especially when it's so, Joel Embiid guarding it and it goes in and right. it's win. <laughs> right. And he's done that. And yeah. he's done it over Carl Anthony Towns. He's done it over Anthony Davis. So you're saying, oh, do it over this player, do it over this. He's doing it over defensive players of the year yeah. that are also seven foot tall. And yeah. he doesn't have any leaping ability reminders. So anyone that says Nikola Jokic can't go get you a bucket is wrong. Anyone that says Nikola Jokic isn't one of the top 10 players, maybe top five players in the NBA is wrong. Like he's an historically amazing center. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't fit any sort of category. And yeah, you know what? The Nuggets are a really weird team because everyone's going small and the Nuggets have a 6-6 or 6-5 point guard and a 6-11 center playing point guard as a combination between the two of them. Mm -hmm. And then they've got a bunch of tall, lanky wings that aren't really that fast. And Michael Porter Jr., Gary Harris, and Jeremy Grant. And they don't have the best defensive ability, particularly on the perimeter. And they allow a lot of corner threes. But because they're zigging when a lot of other teams are zagging, they offer something different. And they offer a way and a path forward in the NBA to get unique and to do something different. And if you watch NBA players this offseason and what they're doing in their workouts – I've seen at least three guys try the Sambor shuffle, James Harden, Kelly Oubre, and I think one other guy that are trying this one-foot post-heave uh, post shot that Nikola Jokic has perfected because it's such a good shot, and that just mm-hmm. goes to show you that it's such a good shot and the Nuggets are doing something different. So, yeah, you know what? I understand that you can just look at the Nuggets and write them off because, hey, oh, they don't fit this, this guard-heavy three-point shooting style with a rim protector down low, pick and roll, blah, blah, blah. Like, I get that. The Nuggets have no comp in terms of NBA history unless you maybe go to, like, the 1970s Wizards with Wes Unseld, uh, except, you know, they played basketball with three out, two in back then, so it still doesn't really work, but that's Mm -hmm. an only big that's comparable or maybe Bill Walton, but, again, not as perimeter-heavy. Maybe a little bit. Yeah, like Sabonis a little bit, but none of them play the way the Nuggets do. And Mike Malone took a lot of things from – from Mike D'Antoni and Greg Popovich and all these different coaches. And they're so fun to watch on offense because they're doing all of these different things. They're running. They're not orienting themselves on a pick and roll game and an isolation game. And you know what? Now they can, if they need to, because Jamal Murray is taking that step. So I'm not worried about the Nuggets offense going blow to blow with anyone. What I am worried about is the Nuggets defense. I'm always worried about the Nuggets defense. Mike Malone's always worried about the Nuggets defense. But the fact that they were able to overcome that Jazz Series 3-1, particularly against a team that gives them nightmares in the pick and roll because of Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert's speed, and they found a way to stop it with Nikola Jokic on the floor, and you look at Nikola Jokic's defensive numbers the last two postseasons, he's taken a clear step forward as a serviceable defender, which is all he needs to be given how good he is on offense. And if you have Jeremy Grant next to him, man, that's fine. You just need a couple other guys to step forward and Gary Harris to be healthy and maybe go get a three and D guy, whether it's free agency or the draft. Yeah. And that'll kind of bring us to our next point, what their free agency needs are. But before we go there, I just want to agree with you on uh, Jokic developing as a better defender. Uh, I'm always trying to monitor the defensive ratings throughout the year. And for a lot of the year last year, he was one of uh, the best defensive centers in basketball. And that's just mm-hmm. what the numbers say. Uh, not a lot of pe- some people don't believe in science these days and don't believe in math, and that's fine. You know, I'm not going to tell you what to believe in, but I will say that the scientists, the basketball scientists, do think that he is turning into a, a better defender. So the hate kind of went too far. 
Yeah. Yeah. And you know, he took it to heart and he got skinnier and he got a little quicker and you know, he still has the strength and he's able to defend guys in the post, which I think is really important because particularly you look at the two teams that were in the NBA finals this year, Bam Adebayo is probably the third best big in the league behind Jokic and Davis. Bam Adebayo is a hell of a player, but he's a very important player. He's a big Anthony Mm -hmm. Davis is a very important player. He's a big, I don't think you're winning an NBA finals without a true big and someone that can actually score from the post. I don't think that we're there unless you, again, have one of the best teams of all time in terms of shooting that yeah. features three of the five best shooters of all time in Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, and Kevin Durant. That is an outlier. That yeah. is not necessarily the thing. And I hate to sound like Shaq and Charles Barkley, but you need a big. And I think oh. you need a big that can also hit from the perimeter. You know, you, you need a big that can be versatile. And that's why I absolutely adore Jokic. And that's why I absolutely adore Bam Adebayo. But uh, to, to, to answer your first question, the most fun part by far of this Nuggets season was just watching Jamal Murray's development. I'm the biggest Jamal Murray fan in the world. I always knew he had this within him. Two years ago, I'm getting in fights with people in the Nuggets press room that were saying they need to start Monte Morris and Jamal Murray together because Jamal Murray can't be a point guard. And to them, I say, you are idiots. And this is half the Nuggets beat. Like, like people thought this for forever. And I'm like, here's the thing. The Nuggets are either going to the NBA Finals because Jamal Murray turns into the second All-Star or the Nuggets are never turning into that team. So they rode with Jamal Murray. He turned into that player. Now, is he 50 points a game type guy a night, 35 points a game over a long stretch? No, he's probably 27 at the very best, which is still crazy. But watching Jamal turn into that player in front of our eyes with the national audience in front of him, was awesome to see because I always knew he had it within him and he always flashed it, but he never did it over a consistent stretch and he did it for about 20 to 30 games. It was so fun to see. Yeah. And uh, it's a luxury to have a guy who can play either guard position, but yeah, I'd say he's, he's kind of turned that corner. So going into this off season now, as you mentioned, the Nuggets could use a little bit more uh, wing defense, especially uh, one guy I always think about is a very interesting, uh, I, I, I guess, kind of a, a what-do-you-do-here type player is, is Gary Harris, who's getting $20 million a year. He's probably their best perimeter defender, but not, yeah. hasn't really grown too much as an offensive player. Uh, do you think that he could be packaged, or what are, what are your thoughts on Harris? I have a hard time trading a guy when his trade value is so low. Uh, especially okay. when he's making that much money because you, you'd be basically giving away that contract uh, right. and maybe attaching a draft pick to it. I really like Gary Harris. Uh, I was, I've gone back and forth on him because he's been hurt so often and he hasn't progressed offensively, but he left a really positive taste in my mouth with that Clippers series and then mm-hmm. the Lakers series where his shooting percentage actually looked good. And yeah, the bubble's really hard to judge shooting percentage because of the depth perception and a bunch of other factors and not a live environment. But You know, Gary Harris got progressively worse as a shooter throughout his career, but his defense has always remained there, and he's always made a really good duo with Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. He's a great backdoor cutter, and if he can just consistently hit the corner three, he can stay out there because he is a really good defender. He's one of the few guys in the league that can actually stay with LeBron that doesn't have that height. So it's a really valuable guy, and there's a reason he got that contract. It's because he earned it. He's just been hurt since he's gotten that contract, more or less. So um, I don't want to trade Gary Harris just because I don't want the Nuggets to give away that many assets to get rid of a guy that I think is still going to be a valuable role player for a team. But 
I no longer think Gary Harris is going to be the third best player on the Nuggets if they are to 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 have a special team. You know, it's going to be Porter if if that's the case, which it should be Porter because Porter is the best player. But you look at it now, if Grant comes back, Gary Harris is probably your fifth best starter, which is a great position to be in. Yeah. Uh, and it just goes to show you how deep the Nuggets are. So I, I don't think you can get rid of Gary Harris because I think if you're getting rid of Gary Harris, you're probably giving your first round pick and Porter to, to package him in a trade. Whereas I don't know that Drew Holiday is so much better than Porter and Gary Harris together. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with you there. And it's interesting you, you bring it right into the uh, Drew Holiday situation because that kind of is the rumor. Uh, I kind of go back and forth on MPJ because I love his potential. I think that the guy can, you know, he can clearly shoot the lights out. He's more athletic than people give him credit for. And uh, he's a guy who can play either forward position, which is going to be key. He can even play shooting guard too if you need to. Yeah, and again, yeah, really Nuggets have a unique lineup. Right, they can go Jokic, Bull, Bull, Grant, and Porter if they wanted to around Murray, which is like the biggest lineup in the NBA, but you can do it. Yeah, yeah. And then Jeremy Grant just provides you uh, so much perimeter and post-defense. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily call him elite in either area, but he's damn good in both. And, uh, you know, he, he's, he's got that NBA pedigree being uh, Harvey's, Harvey's kid, Horace's nephew. Uh, so I've always kind of rooted for him and Jerrion. Uh, but yeah, what do you think the Nuggets should do this off season then? Well, you've heard me mention it a couple times. The number one goal by far is bring back Grant. Uh, he's earned it. I don't care how much money he makes. He's worth it. Okay. Uh, a lot of people have been upset with the Millsap contract and the Millsap contract's annoying, but ultimately it hasn't cost the Nuggets anything because you either were going to spend that money on Millsap or it was going to be open cap space. Exactly. So that's kind of how I, yeah, that's kind of how I feel about Grant. You might as well give him exactly what he wants because you're only going to have a mid-level exception left anyways. So it's not really costing you anything as long as the Cronkies are willing to spend the money and go into the tax, which you know what? The Nuggets are like the one team that Josh and Stan Kroenke will actually go in and spend pockets deep on. And they've shown that from time to time. So uh, I, I think the Nuggets will do that. Uh, and Grant's such an important player because he, he does so many things. He's so versatile, right? He's like discount uh, Robert Covington. You know, he, he can okay. defend so many positions. He's a really good three-point shooter, but he's actually a little bit more athletic than Covington. He's yeah. such a good finisher on the fast break. The only problem with Grant's game is he's such a terrible rebounder. Like he's an God awful rebounder. And maybe part of that's because he's mainly defending the perimeter. Um, but the good news is the Nuggets just so happen to have a young small forward and Michael Porter, who's an elite rebounder for being a small forward. And Jamal Murray's a pretty good rebounder for being a point guard. And Nicole Jokic obviously is 10, 10 a night. So the Nuggets can get away with Grant not being a good rebounder at the power forward spot. And the Nuggets can get, a, get away with getting rid of Paul Millsap and, and letting him walk. Even though I think Paul Millsap actually could be valuable to some team, I just don't know if he offers the Nuggets that value uh, because they have Bull Bull. And right. the thing is, they're going to need a fourth big. And do they bring back Mason Plumley, who I've actually happened to like very much He's low-key, a, a pretty solid playmaker. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? He's fine. He doesn't hurt you off the bench. And there's so many stiffs in the NBA that just need to be run out there for 10 minutes a night to give you five fouls and just stay out there. Plumlee's not a stiff. Plumlee can, can play. Like, Plumlee doesn't cost you anything. He's not amazing. But he doesn't really cost you anything. So I think that's a nice player to have. But should he be making $15 million a year? No. 
So if the Nuggets can get away with bringing back Plumlee for about three to four million, five million dollars, and they can give Grant the contract that he needs, that's awesome because then all of a sudden you have no expectations on Bull Bull, and Bull Bull can just develop. And if you don't have that fourth big, you can shift Porter to the four sometimes when you need to because you have a lot of wings. Will Barton's going to come back. That's a guy we haven't even talked about yet. That's a really important Nugget. Yeah, somebody uh, who really could help them sh- in the bubble. <laughs> yep, because they needed some wing playmaking, and, and yeah. Barton would have been huge for that because he's a really good perimeter playmaker. And pretty much their backup point guard. Type guy. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. When him and Monte Morris are on the floor together, it's really pretty to watch as a second unit, which you don't say that much about many second units in the NBA. I often say that the second quarter in the NBA is the worst sporting event to watch. But for the Nuggets, it's actually pretty interesting because they've got some good guys. P.J. Dozier is another guy that I really, really like, and I think he can shift over to the second guard spot if you need him to because he's six seven. So the Nuggets have a lot of players that they can move up or down. So they can do a lot of different things this offseason. And I don't necessarily think that it's a make or break thing to go get Drew Holiday because their best players are 25, 23, right. and 22. Right. There's no need to go win now. The thing is, Drew Holiday's on a really good contract. He's the position of need for the Nuggets, a wing defender that has some playmaking. He's a better Will Barton, basically, but with a bunch of defense. Mm. So if the Nuggets could somehow find a way to package Will Barton, a first-round pick, and Bull Bull – in that trade, I might do it, but I don't think that's reasonably what's going to happen. Yeah. I think that they're going to need Porter involved in that trade, and I don't want to get rid of Porter. You've kind of gone back and forth with your takes on Porter. How many guys in the NBA are six foot eleven that can shoot uh, shoot with a hand in their face, dead eye, you know, and hit almost all their shots? The answer is there's probably not very many. Of them. Yeah, yeah, right. It's Kevin Durant. It's a very unique skill, um, and that's why Porter's always gotten the Kevin Durant comps. And I say you ride with it. You have to ride with it because if you hit on Porter, if you found Porter at 15 in the draft and you developed him and you waited and you were patient for the year, that is the guy that changes your entire franchise. Yeah. And the Nuggets are in a really special spot where Jamal Murray is a pretty selfless guy. He's a dog. He wants it all. He's selfless. And Nikola Jokic, you can tell, is obviously a really selfless guy. The best thing that can happen for Nikola Jokic is – the Nuggets getting a player that's better than Nikola Jokic. And the only way that that's going to happen is if Murray or Porter develop. And Murray's becoming the guy for the Nuggets, which is huge because I don't think Nikola Jokic wants to be the leader. Now, if Porter can get onto you know, nearly the same level as those guys, that would be unbelievable because then Nikola Jokic is all of a sudden third fiddle, and that's exactly where he wants to be. So they wouldn't have any of those classic NBA drama problems of who's the dog, who's the top guy they'd be just grooving. Like Murray would be fine giving the ball to Porter and Porter would be fine giving the ball to Murray. I think a lot of the time, because there's plenty of ball to go around when you have a center that averages eight assists a night. Right. Now, are you, are you concerned about the defense with Porter though? Cause that's where my concern comes. Uh, sometimes I think that, you know, offensively, my only knock is sometimes I want to see him make the smarter play. I actually agreed with him about what he said about other players getting involved. He took a lot of heat from uh, the mm-hmm. Twitter sphere on that, but I agree with him when they lost the game. But you know what? He went up. He went and backed it up, and that said a lot to me. He did. He did. And like when he's involved, they're a better team offensively. But sometimes I feel like let's let's put it this way: I do not feel safe with him, even if it's on a switch guarding a guy like Kawhi Leonard. Well he showed in the bubble that he's gotten tremendously better defensively because he became competent against guys like Kawhi and LeBron. It wasn't an automatic bucket early on in the bubble. It was even an automatic bucket where guys were targeting him uh, in the regular season games in the Mm -hmm. playoffs. 
it went from him being targeted in the Jazz series to him being not the guy targeted, which was huge. And another thing that happened this year, we talked about Jokic's development on defense. Jamal Murray got a lot better on defense this year and made a lot of really sound off-ball reads, and he became a guy that wasn't costing you anything on defense. So now if Michael Porter Jr. is your worst defender in the lineup and he's a guy that can go out and get eight rebounds a night, he makes up for it. He makes up for it with his rebounding and his shooting as long as you can find a way to hide him a little bit because you're already hiding Jokic a little bit. Mm -hmm. If you can hide Porter a little bit, so like let's say it's the Lakers, you have put you can put Jokic on Dwight Howard and you can put Michael Porter Jr. on like Danny Green guy type, you know? So you can hide these guys, but it puts more tax on Jamal Murray because Jamal Murray all of a sudden becomes a more important defender. So I think Porter has the ability to develop because his athleticism is off the charts. The problem is he's just not laterally an amazing guy. You know, Kevin yeah. Durant's never been an amazing defender, but you can get away with it, particularly because he offers you so much, so many other things. And again, because the Nuggets are such a unique team, you don't need Porter to be a classic definition. You can have guys doing different roles because the Nuggets have a bunch of dudes that don't fit a stereotype. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like I said, it's just a super unique build. Uh, yeah, and I'll put it this way. Michael Malone's not going to play Porter if he doesn't play defense. So, yeah. and, and that, that was the case for a while. And the fact that Michael Malone is playing Michael Porter says that he's playing just enough defense for him to meet that barometer. Yeah, and you kind of can't have him on the bench for offensive reasons too, you know. Uh, I, th I think in a best-case scenario, now it can kind of like shift and gaze in the crystal ball a little bit, best-case scenario for the Nuggets. Next year, he is – probably I mean at the very least their third leading scorer he should be putting up 15 to 20 a game I expect around you know 35 to 40 percent from three I want to see a lot more uh some of the the two-man games that Jokic and Murray play I'd like to see some of that same energy with uh Jokic and Porter especially when and you, you and you saw a lot more of that in the regular season before it got into the playoffs. Where The playoffs are a different game than mm -hmm. the rest of the regular season. Porter was a really good cutter for Nikola Jokic. And there yeah. were times where, you know, the relocation skills of Porter are, are really good, just as they are with Murray. They both work off the ball really well. So it wasn't as much of a two-man ga two game as we remember just because of the way the playoffs went down. Um, but yeah, you're right. Porter should be the second leading scorer probably on the Nuggets. He should be right behind Murray. Jokic isn't a guy that scores all that many points. He's probably going to end up with 17 a game. I'd expect Porter to end up right around 17, 18 a game as well. And Murray to end up somewhere around 22, 23. Uh, so if you have a bunch of guys getting that kind of production, you have three guys basically getting you 60 a night. That's huge. What are your expectations going into this year, uh, this, this next year? I mean, of course, uh, what's the best case scenario? What's the worst case scenario? Um, you know, I have a really hard time in saying a team's going to go to the end, uh, a championship or win a championship. I think that in sports, all you can realistically say is your team is one of the best two teams in its conference and it's going to, mm. it should go to the conference championship. And then basically whatever happens from there is kind of unpredictable because by that time with injuries and whatnot and what might happen in the other conference. So uh, realistically, I think that the Nuggets should go right back to where they were. I think the okay. Nuggets are, are one of the two best teams in the West. They should be in the conference championship. Uh, now, 
they should be doing things this off season, whether it's training or drafting a guy or signings, you know, guys on the, on the cheap, maybe like a Marquise Morris type that are going to help them that are going to help them beat the Lakers. Yeah. You know, that, that's what they need to do. They need to go out and find one or two guys that are going to help them beat the Lakers more than anything else uh, because that's their competition. I don't think they really have to worry about being a team that has to guard Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and Dame Lillard and CJ McCollum anymore. They've figured out ways to get past that. They figured out ways to get team past teams like the Phoenix Suns, which are basically just going to be a better team than the Oklahoma City Thunder were this past year with Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, and Devin Booker. Now Devin Booker's scary as hell, but you know mm. he's just <laughs> Devin Booker's basically Jamal Murray wearing a different jersey. Both went to Kentucky. Like that's the same thing. Um, the Jazz ain't shit. The Jazz don't scare me at all. Like the Clippers are a nightmare. Like the Clippers are just a walking disaster. Like any team with Paul George doesn't scare me. Hasn't oh, ever man. scared me. We'll see how um, much longer the he's Timberwolves, there. Right. The Timberwolves are a joke. Like I, I just, the, 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 the other team that's going to make a leap this off season and could be interesting because they have cap space and assets is the Dallas Mavericks. And oh, they just God. so happen to have, in my mind, probably the second best player in the NBA right now behind Giannis and the Doncic. So uh, it's really huge for the Nuggets that James Harden is likely, if he's going to get traded, go to the East or be on a bad team because James Harden was the biggest problem for the Nuggets, particularly when he was operating a pick and roll with Clint Capella. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that team doesn't scare me anymore. So it's really Dallas and LA are the only teams that I look at and go, okay, those are the teams the Nuggets need to be looking out for, see what they do. And already the Lakers made a hell of a move by getting Dennis Schroeder because Dennis Schroeder was really good for Oklahoma City last year. Uh, and he's a lot better of a player than Rajah Rondo is right now. So uh, yeah, I, I, I think the Nuggets need to go find a way to get someone that can at least slow down LeBron so that Grant can play on Davis and Gary Harris can go guard the starting guard for their team, if that makes sense. Because yeah. right now you need Grant on LeBron and you're having Jokic on Davis, which isn't going to be a favorable matchup for the Nuggets. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind if they added just a little bit more uh, depth in that backcourt. I don't know what's going to happen with Rondo in LA. I could see him being back. Uh, I don't think Avery Bradley is going to be in the Lakers uniform, but I think both those guys could help the Nuggets. Uh, just adding a little bit more depth in the backcourt, ensuring uh, up some of that defense. As you mentioned, there's certainly going to be times when they're going to hide, have to hide uh, guys like Michael Porter Jr. But given the versatility of the team and – I am really hoping for an increased role from Jeremy Grant. I think that they're going to be able to adjust. So I I agree that about conference finals would probably be my expectation. If we're talking getting to the NBA championship, uh, I think that might require some tweaks, but not, not too much. As I said in our Dallas Mavericks closure series last week, they don't have to do too much. They're already pretty damn close and I don't know if you've seen this not to turn it into a Mavericks podcast but I don't think the Mavericks are going to do much this offseason because they are going to be chasing Giannis Giannis right and and they and as they should because if they get Giannis and Luca, it's over it's like, a it, dynasty it's yeah <laughs> right but uh I I will say that you know I I wouldn't even say the backcourt to the Nuggets I, I know what you're referencing probably like a shooting guard type because they don't need any more playmaking. They have enough playmaking. And they could even get a point guard like a Patrick Beverly. I would love to be a point guard. Yeah, yeah. The salary probably doesn't work, but, you know, like that would be a good player to have. Um, 
So I, I would love a guy that's not necessarily a point guard, but fits that kind of shooting guard, small forward role classically, where you okay. have a three and D guy there. Uh, because the Nuggets have a really good backup point guard, Monte Morris. Monte mm. Morris is a free agent after the season. A team like Charlotte's going to go give Monte Morris near the max. Like, damn near Monte damn. Morris is going to be a max. Like, like, think about it. Like, Monte Morris has had the best assist turnover ratio in the NBA for two years. And he plays 15 minutes a night. Like, it's not limited minutes. Like, Monte Morris is a hell of a good player. I think and he's one be of the better patient. shooters on the Nuggets. <laughs> if you can get him that kind of contract. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think that's, like, wrong. And I think P.J. Dozier is the backup point guard on the Lakers right now. Like, if you're the Los Angeles Lakers, you give Monte Morris whatever you want next offseason. Like, whatever he wants, because that's the perfect point guard to put next to LeBron and Anthony Davis. Like, Monte Morris would fit on so many different teams. P.J. Dozier doesn't have the playmaking abilities yet because he was a rookie and he was on a two-way. But he is a guy that offers some really good ability in the fast breaks. We saw mm -hmm. moments where he was creating his own buckets. So, and obviously, the Nuggets have uh, Nikola Jokic. And you don't want the ball out of Will Barton or Michael Porter's hands. So you don't need another playmaker. What you need is someone to continue to play good perimeter defense because that's been the Nuggets' only weak spot and someone to knock down threes consistently, which has been a weak spot for the Nuggets until they got Porter up to the speed mm -hmm. that he's at now, which he's going to continue to develop. But they need someone that if Gary Harris ain't feeling it, they can put in there and feel good about their defense as well. Because frankly, the, uh, uh, you know, the one guy that kind of bothers me when he's on the floor for the Nuggets and he's not a bad player is Torrey Craig because Torrey Craig's really out there to hustle. Yeah. And if he hits any threes, it's, it's luck kind of thing. It's yeah. not a great stroke. So, but the Nuggets did one thing this postseason that they didn't do two postseasons ago, which was prove that they can shoot the three-point shot, which is something Monte Morris struggled with, something Torrey Craig struggled with, something Gary Harris struggled with. Um, something Paul Millsap was struggling with, which is a huge improvement because going into last offseason, it was like get a three or D guy or bust, a three and D guy or bust. And now going into this offseason, it's like, all right, it'd be nice to get a three and D guy, but frankly, I think they'd be okay even without one. And they could go and use their first round pick on someone like uh, Poku or whatever his name is that I can't pronounce, uh, the, the big Serbian dude that's uh, seven foot tall that is 17 years old with a lot of playmaking that doesn't do anything particularly well, or McDaniels from uh, Washington, who okay. had a really bad t freshman year at Washington, but still came out into the draft and was a five-star guy. And, and you can see how much potential is there. The guy's huge. Right, right. So, so I don't even need the Nuggets to go out and use their pick on a role player. I want them to go take another chance because look at what their chances have led them to so far. Porter and Bull Bull. We don't know what Bull Bull is yet. Porter isn't even close to his potential, but we have an idea of the direction they're going. And boy, does that look good. Uh, here, here's one player I'll throw out there. A, a guy who I think would be an interesting fit and uh, I believe he's on a, a player option right now uh, with the Chicago Bulls. Yeah, looks like that. So he's, he's got a qualifying offer out there. Uh, but Chris Dunn, that guy's a, a point guard, but he played some shooting guard with the Bulls. He was one of the leaders all year in steals. And so I think that's another guy. You can just add another dog uh, on defense because sometimes – they just needed one more really good defender. And you need really good defenders in a scorer's league. You know, people are like, well, it, offense is more important than defense. Well, how do you slow down offense with defense? Well, Dunn, you know, you're a Chicago guy. I can tell by what you just said. <laughs> um, but uh, And I'm know, not all in on Dunn by any stretch. You know, I'm talking like reserve, right. well, you know, defense. No, I meant more of the defense than offense. Okay, okay, okay. 
I, I've always been a bigger believer, especially in Denver, of good offense beats good defense because of the way the Nuggets can run up and down the floor at altitude. Okay. Uh, and you yeah, looked at yeah. the, the Danilo Gallinari teams proved that. Mm. Um, but what I will say about Dunn is he, he would be a really nice piece because you, you talk about the defense. The defense is there with Chris Dunn. We know that, and he hustles, and it's nice to watch. He was hustling for a really bad Bulls team with a coach that sucked. Like that, like if you're hustling for that, you're going to hustle on a 50 win team for a coach that likes you and the players love, like everyone likes Mike Malone, DeMarcus cousins liked Mike Malone. Like, so the nuggets have a coach, like a good coach, a coach that everyone likes, which is a great starting point. And I don't think Mike Malone gets enough credit for what he's done in terms of development with his players. I don't think Tim Conley's gotten enough credit for how he's developed this team. And granted, he's made a couple missteps, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, the Plumley trade that gave uh, uh, Nurkic to Portland. Every GM makes mistakes, but we're here now and the nuggets are in a really good spot. So yeah. Dunn would be a really nice addition. He probably is going to cost too much money for the Nuggets. But if the Nuggets went out and got done, I think the one thing that you didn't mention that's really nice is he's so athletic mm. and he can really motor on the fast break. And when you can motor on the fast break and you have a rebounder in Michael Porter Jr. and a rebounder in Nicole Jokic, who both are obviously Jokic is an elite playmaker, but Porter's a really good one too. Um, that's really fun because the Nuggets could really get out and run and they don't need Jamal Murray to come back and kind of usher up the ball. They'd have gunners running up the floor, which is what they have right now in Gary Harris and Jamal Murray, but neither of those guys are necessarily speedsters and Dunn has the ability to speed. Murray has the ability to finish over just about anything, but Dunn has that, but he also has that athleticism and quickness that Murray doesn't necessarily have. Uh, Cause Murray's kind of, you know, and I love Jamal Murray and I love Nicole Jokic because they show you, and so does Luka Doncic, as we talk about him constantly, because I love watching him play, that if you're in control and you use body positioning and body contact correctly, it's just as good as speed in the NBA. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, uh, we just had uh, basketball time machine on Jerry West. That's one of the biggest things we noticed. That guy obviously had some speed, but just much like James Harden or Steph Curry, how, how well can you protect the ball? How in control are you and so uh it's always always been important and uh i think the nuggets they're uh they're a high iq team i think that they have a lot of potential and the best case scenario is if they're all and this is such a cliche but you know to borrow one from phil jackson here surrender the me for the we they're at their best when you don't know who is gonna be the killer that night and they have a lot of killers on their team and that's how it was all off season. And that's why they went far. It was either going to be Jokic or Murray. You knew it was going to be one of those two, but every single night it ended up surprising you. And I think by the end of the postseason, I think Jokic was only like averaging two points per game less than Murray. Of course it was never as flashy, but that's Nikola Jokic for you. Yeah. Some, it, and my friend said it best. My best friend who uh, goes to Berkeley law said this the best. He goes, you know, Nikola Jokic is crazy. Cause it's like, if you hit a random number generator 50 times in a row, and you told it to come out with the average of 20 points, eight assists, and eight rebounds a night. But sometimes he's going to score 40. Sometimes he's going to score five. Sometimes he's going to get 30 rebounds. Sometimes he's going to get five. And sometimes he's going to do the same with the assists. Like, yeah. you never know what Jokic is going to give you night to night. But you know consistently over a long stretch what he's going to give you. And what he gives you is just an unbelievable level of production and efficiency. And, efficiency. Yeah. and my favorite player in the NBA, I'll, I'll, I'll say that right now, uh, I don't have any jerseys besides Derrick Rose of guys who still play. You know, I got a lot of classics. I got a Rodman. I got a Pete Maravich, you know, a Dan Marley. It's time for me to get a Jokic. I, I do love seeing that guy play. Uh, I love a, a good selfless big man like that. And a revolutionary uh, unicorn of a player 
any any closing thoughts? It's been a pretty fun episode. Oh, good. I'm glad it could be fun. I will talk about Nuggets all the time, like I said. Uh, you know, I just it's really fun to be a Nuggets fan right now. The Nuggets historically are probably one of the worst franchises in the NBA. And uh, just to prove that to you, Torrey Craig's in the team's all-time top seven or six in all-time three-point shooting oh, in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, Torrey Craig has, like, the sixth most three-pointers made in the Nuggets postseason history. Uh, you know, the Nuggets have never been to the NBA Finals. The best they ever did was go to the ABA Finals and lose to Dr. J mm -hmm. with David Thompson. Um, people don't understand how rich the history of the Nuggets are and how many great players we've had. Uh, the Nuggets, the first year that they came into existence, had one of the most slept on players in NBA history that at the time was great. But the first player to jump from high school, the NBA, Spencer Haywood, uh, who played for the Nuggets and averaged over 35 points a game and won the ABA MVP and Rookie of the Year the first season in the ABA. Uh, and then went on to, of course, do the thing at the Mexico City Olympics, which was awesome uh, to represent uh, racial inequality in this country. So, you know, we started with Spencer Haywood. David Thompson's the only player in, in, in the Nuggets history that's even come close to being as good as Nikola Jokic. It's David Thompson and Nikola Jokic. Obviously, the mellow years were pretty fun, but rather inefficient. Yeah. And, uh, you, you know, you had Alex English, who was one of the top three, five best players of the 1980s over a long stretch. And, you know, Dan Issel, you've had so many great players come through here. The Nuggets have never had a team over a long period of time. The only time they had that was a few years with David Thompson early. And then the Mellow teams were just a constant kind of mismatch of guys around Mellow. Mm -hmm. Right now, the Nuggets have a team. Yeah. A team. Yeah. And a team full of really good guys and a team full of guys that should have two All-Stars this year. And I don't know. I, I, I'll have to look this up. But this might be the first time in Nuggets history, if it happens, that they have two All-Stars on the same team. The only time I would, would imagine maybe other than that is if Dikembe was in the all-star game at the same time as like Muhammad Abdul Raf, or if uh, Fat Lever was at the all-star game the same time as Alex English. So what about, this might be the first time the Nuggets have uh, two all-stars. Never happened with uh, Iverson Mello or Iverson Billups. That's pretty incredible. Oh. Yep. So that was, it was after both of those guys' peak around Mello and, and Jokic was the first all-star for the Nuggets since Mello. Uh, Jokic is the first all first NBA uh, is the only first team NBA player uh, in Nuggets history besides David Thompson. So uh, the Nuggets have something really really special, and that's why even if the Nuggets just go to the conference finals again, yeah, it'll be a little rough because it's it's a little stagnation and they don't go as far as I want them to go. But you have to remember that you're the Denver Nuggets, and this isn't supposed to happen necessarily right. with the way our franchise is. So I'm, I'm basically happy when the Nuggets make the playoffs and, and win a series, and they've done that two years in a row. So I'm thrilled with what the Nuggets have done, and they happen to have not only a really good team, but a really, really fun one and a team that's really unique. So it's a really fun time to be a Nuggets fan. Uh, and I think that if you are a person just watches the NBA casually, they're the number one league pass team going into next year. Love that take. Have to be. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks for coming on, Jake. Uh, where can people find uh, your work and what's your social media? Go to my Twitter at Shapalicious. There you will find my work mainly about soccer for the Denver Post. Um, they're soccer guy. 
And you can find my work about the Colorado Buffaloes for Buff Stampede there as well. And I do a bunch of other stuff around town. Like I said, I cover Nuggets occasionally, the Abs, uh, covered the Rockies for many, many years. And uh, I have projects upcoming that I can't talk about yet, but uh, they'll all be posted there. And you can follow my Buffs podcast, which I'm sure Adam, you'll come on and join Chase and Benet and I and chop it up and talk some Pac-12 hoops coming oh, up soon. Oh, yeah. I can't wait, man. I can't wait. I got secret operations as well. And uh, people will find out. People will find out. Uh, anyway, thanks so much for coming on, man. We'll, uh, we'll have to do this again soon. No doubt. Anytime you need me, Adam.